The holidays are almost here, and that means you're about to get a heck of a lot busier. And the data reflects what you know to be true. Prior to COVID, Yelp observed a 17% increase in diners seated from October to December over the prior quarter. And that was before everyone was trapped in their houses for over a year. Capitalize on that increased demand this holiday season with the all-new Yelp Guest Manager. Yelp Guest Manager allows you to manage your guest reservations and your waitlist all in one place. Better yet, it's fee-free until February of 2022 with an annual agreement. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast to learn more today. Now here we go. I really believe that we're all here to make an impact in a way that only we can make it and that the world needs that from us. And so the more that we can clear all that other stuff off our plate and be really clear on what we're here to do and how we're gonna contribute, the more of an impact we're going to make, the more impactful our teams will be, our companies will be. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. There's more to profitability than marketing. Let's make sure that you're not using marketing to fuel a broken machine. Go to restaurantprofitcall.com to book a call with me. We can look at your current situation to see what is and isn't working, uncover the number one bottleneck restricting your growth, and develop a three-step action plan to get you results. I'm only doing 10 of these a month, so go to restaurantprofitcall.com to book your free profitability audit with me today. How many hats are you wearing on a daily basis? One, two, 200? The only way we're gonna get better is by getting better at sharing our workload with others. And that's where Emily Morgan comes in. Emily is a delegation expert, and today she walks us through the mindset and the strategies we need to pull this off, along with the pitfalls to avoid. So in my work and my research on delegation, What we've found is that really the number one reason that people don't delegate is because they're not sure what they're going to spend their time on instead. And so without that level of clarity, there's a million reasons why we want to hang on to things. Like we're used to feeling busy all the time and we draw our value from that. We love being the problem solver, being in the middle of everything. (laughs) We enjoy the energy of solving problems and running around like crazy. And so if I say to someone like that, Hey, let's clear your plate. There's a hesitation because they're like, well, I don't know what I would do instead. Right. And so for us, it's all about having a lot of clarity around what are you going to do with the time that you've freed up? That's actually important and impactful. Well, and what are you going to do with the time? I mean, before we actually get into the act and the art and the science of delegation, what does it free people up to do? Most of us, especially in the hospitality industry, we spend so much time in the weeds day to day putting out fires that I don't even know what I would do if I had eight hours a day to not do that. (laughs) Exactly. So it's hard work in the beginning to really have a clear picture. Like I would encourage you not to delegate until you know if you're going to free up five hours a week of your time. If you can sort of visualize what you're going to be doing instead that's actually more important or meaningful or relaxing to you, you will find reasons not to do it. So that's really step one is 
coming to terms with, hey, sometimes my biggest contribution is me having nothing to do so that I'm thinking about my business or thinking about some campaign that we want to run next quarter for the restaurant or something like that. So that's sort of a hard pill to swallow for people that love being busy is like, sometimes your biggest value is the vision that you're going to spend time thinking through. I couldn't agree with you more. There was this quote from Warren Buffett where they said, oh my God, you're a billionaire. You must be incredibly busy. And his response was not particularly. I spend most of my time walking, reading, and thinking. And as a restaurateur, we don't spend a lot of time thinking. It's almost always reacting to one situation or the other. But I think that there's a whole nother world out there, which was the purpose of this interview was really to show people one, that it can be done, and two, what's on the other side of that. And I think you've done a masterful job of breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. You've basically broken down the art of delegation into three parts, which is discipline, art, and science. Can we unpack those? Yeah, sure. So yeah, there's three parts to this wheel of being great at delegating. And I think there's a mastery that has to happen at each level. So discipline is the first phase of delegating well, and that's really all about your own commitment to actually getting on board with delegation. And a lot happens there in that step that we just sort of talked about, which is, okay, if I'm going to really dial in my delegation, what am I going to do instead? And so having a discipline to one, commit to delegation, two, commit to do it responsibly, (laughs) And three, just have a commitment to let the process run because there's going to be lots of opportunities where something breaks down and uh, you just throw up your hands and say, I'm not good at this. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) So that's really step one is just committing to it. You talk about these bottleneck behaviors, and this is no surprise to anyone listening. We are our biggest hurdle to overcome, and it's our bad habits that become the bad habits of our businesses, especially in the restaurant industry. And I was hoping just so people kind of see it in themselves. What are those bottleneck behaviors that you break down? Yeah. So this is 15 years of supporting entrepreneurs. (laughs) We've distilled it down into the five behaviors that we all exhibit at any given moment of the day that create bottlenecks in our business. And we're still on step one discipline of the three part sides of delegation. So type one is the hero. So we talked about this a little bit. This person loves to save the day. The team really has been trained to run everything through you. And entrepreneurs in particular are very notorious for this behavior because because we have built something from nothing and we get a lot of energy out of solving problems each day that we start to get energy from feeling needed all the time. And when we start to step away and let the business kind of run without us, it can be really scary. So that's type one, which is the hero. So type two is the interventionist. So we have the hero always wants to save the day. Interventionist always needs to be looped in. This is sort of your classic micromanager. And a lot of the times the interventionist develops, if you would think about like scar tissue from an injury. So all the delegations that failed and we just can't trust anyone. (laughs) That's where interventionists come into play. And they just feel, you know, they have high standards and they really want to protect themselves from future errors. So type two, you're the quality control officer. And 
as we sort of run through these, you'll start to understand why that really can be a problem over time. Type three is the isolationist. And so this is the person that says, you know what, I'll just do it myself. And what happens is we only have so much capacity in a day. And if we're doing everything ourselves, we have no time to delegate to someone because we don't have time to have a conversation with them about it. (laughs) And that just spurs the cycle on. Type four is the time optimist. And this is the one that I'm most guilty of. Even though I'm like super scheduled and I really don't consider myself to be overworked in any way, I have a tendency to be really unrealistic around what can actually be done with the time and the resources that I have. Time optimists are really optimistic just by nature. And if we're not careful, we can lack restraint with just really delegating some of our best ideas. Now, what happens is with this type and the next type, which is the dreamer, both types have lots of ideas. And what happens with our teams is that when we're bringing these ideas, they're living in execution mode and we're living in creation. So it creates this friction because you're just like really excited about something you want to share with your team. And all they're hearing is, oh my God, now I have to do this next thing. And like, I already have 20 other things I need to finish. And where's the priority? And so type five, the dreamer is dreamers. They tend to not think through the execution. And a lot of the times what happens with that type is you're actually not connected to the outcome because you don't even know what success looks like. You just think it's a really great idea. And dreamers can get really bored with the details and they're ambiguous to sort of the outcome other than just like the energy that comes with the idea. And that can really burn out our teams very quickly. So we recommend using a tool like Parking Lot where you have the freedom to share your ideas. The team can note them down, but the team has the capability to sort of like push back around whether or not that's a true priority. And part of that comes through the team feeling really healthy and empowered to have those conversations with you. Absolutely. And I would ask, are there checks and balances? I can't imagine there's anyone that heard all five and didn't say at least one or two are me. I'm sure awareness goes a really long way to preventing these behaviors in the future. But are there checks and balances? Are there weekly updates, check-ins we should be doing with ourselves to make sure that we're not exhibiting this behavior? Should we be soliciting this information from our employees? It's a funny question because I created a scorecard that we can share in the show notes that's called the Habits and Mindsets of Elevated Leaders. And it allows you to score yourself and you could actually have your team score you, which can be really sort of interesting to see how they feel you're doing with a lot of these types of behaviors. And incredibly humbling. (laughs) (laughs) I would like, you know, baby step your way into that one. (laughs) Sure. But from um, an outcome standpoint, one of the best things you can do with any sort of delegation is to have a standing weekly meeting with whoever you're delegating to, because that will allow them to, they run the meeting, you just show up to it, but that will really allow them to ask questions in a healthy way, encourage them to give feedback in a healthy way, and have a verbal prioritization of what everyone's working on, who's doing what by when, and sort of being accountable to that in that weekly cadence of a meeting. As a restaurateur, every dollar that I've ever paid someone else for a task that I didn't want to do or I wasn't capable of doing, 
I've always thought to myself, that is a dollar I could be putting in my own pocket. That you see it as an expense, not an investment. And I think it's really dangerous, especially in low margin industries like hospitality, because it does put us in a position where maybe we go from making eighty-five dollars to $100,000 a year, but then we're capped at that because we're working 90 hours a week as a general manager, a floor manager, an assistant general manager, doing so many jobs at once just to try and absorb that revenue. Can you speak to the discipline involved in believing that this is an investment and what a payoff would actually look like? There's a value to your time. And so understanding what your time is worth or what you want your time to be worth and what levers you can pull to make your time worth that. I'd imagine there's things that you're doing in the business that no one needs to be doing because it could be automated in some format. It could be delegated to someone else to do at a lower price point. So I think for your industry in particular, it's all about understanding what do you think your time is worth and looking at it compared to what you're actually paying yourself to do all these different things that someone else could do for you. There are a lot of people out there that value their time at $50 an hour and say, if it's a job that I can pay anyone less than $50 an hour to do, I'll go ahead and delegate that because I know what my time's worth. And the only way I'll ever get paid that amount of money is if I actually make the investment to make sure that all of the time that I'm allocating is to doing work at that level and doing the kind of work that would warrant that kind of compensation. Yeah. And you could do the reverse math equation on that and figure out how many hours do I need to work each week to make $50 an hour? And then you would see the spread between the 19 to the 50 of how many hours that would be overall that you have to clear off your plate. So step two is delegating. So it's the art of what to delegate. How do you figure that out? Yeah. So this is the fun part of delegation. This is figuring out what can actually come off your plate. And we have some sort of best practices that we recommend for the clients we work with. So we call them the five golden rules of delegation. So first, you want to always start with your goals. So what are the things you want to be spending your time on? So let's say you ran that math equation and you found 20 hours of work that doesn't fall in line with $50 an hour that you want to be making. So look at it that way and always start with your goals. So working backwards, you want to get something done this quarter, this month, this year. There's always lots of delegations happening in the larger goal that you don't need to be doing. So that's the first. The second is always look for the repeatables. So I always find things in our things that we're not great at, and we don't like doing, we usually do more than once. So if it's something that you're doing on repeat, it can become a process and thereby it becomes delegatable to someone else. So my question is this, like, let's look at doing the weekly schedule. It's something that most owner operators do, and it's a total waste of time. It's something that must be done, but doesn't necessarily need to be done by us. But there's nuance involved because Jessica doesn't like working with Steve and Kim has another job, so she can only work every other Wednesday. And there's an event coming up and I also help plan the events and no one else knows the nuances of the event. So I'm obviously going to have to schedule for that as well. It's one of the reasons that we hold on to things for so long is because we feel like we're the only ones that truly grasp the high level scope and are then able to effectively create a schedule that 
everyone is happy with and that works for the business. And I'm curious to know, in those repeatables, how do you determine what it's actually possible to delegate? Or is everything delegatable? And we're not unicorns in a shocking turn of events. I don't know that everything is delegatable, but that's sort of why I recommend always, before you even try to think about delegation, you need to be really clear on what you want to spend your time on. So to answer the question about the repeatables, what I would look at in that example is, can someone get it 80% of the way for you each week, right? Like, can there be enough documented nuance that you have, let's say you have a weekly meeting with your admin partner, you guys come up with your process to do this schedule. She shadows you, you shadow her. She asks you questions. She starts to document the different nuances. And you have this regular meeting where Jessica tells you on Friday, she can't work the event next weekend or whatever. You have a system for relaying that to the team member. So what comes back to you at that point is the schedule's 80% done. It's given to you every Wednesday at noon, and she's sending you a reminder every Thursday at noon. Did you look at the schedule so that we can get it out on Friday? So you turn it into this process and it's not perfect, but it's, what is that freeing up for you? Maybe a couple hours a week, just by having someone get it 80%. That totally resonates. And then the next thing on your list is find the low hanging fruit. What does that mean? Yeah. So we do an exercise called a freedom analysis and We do them complimentary. So if any of your listeners want someone to verbally go through this exercise, we can do that. But we always start with, what do you love to do? And then we drop down to, if you picture like four squares on a page, the bottom square is really, what are the things you hate doing and you're not good at? And we capture all those there. So booking flights, invoicing vendors, things like that. Then we start to talk about what are the things that you do begrudgingly. You don't like it. You're kind of good at it. So it could be the schedule, right? would be one of the things that's in that area. And then we look at the things that you're doing that you're pretty good at and you like doing, but it's not the best use of your time. And so that leaves us with three different quadrants of activities that we can pull from. And we always want to start with the bottom right, finding all the things that you're doing that you hate doing and start to pull those things off your plate. Because that builds confidence and it builds the relationship out, builds some trust, really simple stuff, easy for you to let go of. So that's a great number three on this list of things to let go of. Is there another quadrant for all of the things that we know we should be doing, but we don't have time to do so they just don't get done? Well, as long as it's really work that you're here to do, like your purpose, that's that top left corner where it's This is, if I could spend all day doing this, I would be so happy and we would be in such a great position. Got it. And then the next thing we need to do is compartmentalize, right? Yep. So in the example, like I gave for the schedules, okay, so you can't hand the whole thing off, right? Yet. (laughs) That doesn't mean you can't hand part of it off. So what are the different steps for you doing the schedule every single week? Write them out in a process talk with someone who understands delegation and they can start to pull the smaller things off to get that thing done in a systematic way. And then the last part is practicing basically, right? Like setting up exercises to see what it would feel like to actually do this. (laughs) Well, that, and then it's going through that exercise I shared with the four quadrants where we're talking about, I hate doing it. I'm not good at it. I am okay at it, but I do it begrudgingly. 
And then the top right is I'm really good at it, but it's not the best use of my time. And then the promised land is that top left corner, which is I could spend all day doing that. And you can continually run that like every week, every quarter, whatever. We actually have clients that have us create what you would call their ideal week. So what do you love doing? If you could have your ideal week, what would it look like? And then we do reporting where we compare against how the week actually went. And so we can actually learn and develop nuance to keep driving towards an ideal week type setting. I have a question related to the list of things that we delegate, because one of the hard lessons that I learned, and I'm curious to get your input on it, but I delegated many, many broken processes to people over the years. And what I found over time was that you can't delegate a broken machine because they'll never get it right. And if the systems aren't in place, you can't delegate to someone and have them improve the process until the process is already in a usable place. In my experience, there's a time invested in setting up the systems so that they can be delegated. Is that your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, we would tell our clients, whatever, if it's broken, show it to me, put it on like a screen capture video, screen share it with me so I can see what you're doing. And anyone that's great with admin is going to be able to help you really optimize that process. I mean, it could be if you're not delegating to admins, that could be where (laughs) the trouble's coming in. But administrative people, like you spoke earlier about unicorns, like I believe we're not unique in terms of entrepreneurs, right? Like nothing you're going to give us is like so unique because you're in the restaurant industry. Like to us, admin is admin. You could be a rocket scientist or you could be a janitorial company, whatever, (laughs) like still admin happening. And the nuance is just like in your industry, but just hand it over to us. Let us see what it looks like. And then your admin should be able to help you streamline and make it better. My last question related to this is what are most people, especially like early on in the process, what are they delegating to you or to an admin generally? What are the first five things that people pull off their plate? Universally not specific to your industry. Scheduling is always a big one. So whether we're doing all the back and forth with your vendors or you having a wine tasting or something like that, scheduling is number one, the big thing. Within scheduling, we can do automation. So like for certain types of calls, they get a Calendly link and that goes out just to streamline. The next thing would be inbox. So a lot of people are totally overwhelmed by their inbox and we can come in very strategically and just clean out the spam. We can go all the way to you're not checking your email anymore because you're getting a summary of what's going on in there with a list of to-dos for you to handle. So that's sort of like a journey, but that's usually number two. Number three, if it's not delegated already, would be like invoicing, accounting type activities. Number four would be travel. And then number five would be personal tasks. Well, and then we roll right into step three, the science of how to delegate. If we could start high level, I do have a question related to this. Is it always, just to set the expectation, is it always kind of ugly? Is it always a difficult process? Yeah, I mean, this is a long game life skill. And I think it becomes quite addicting when you start doing it and feeling the results of delegation. But I think there's so many things that go into our ability to even 
get in a healthy headspace with delegation that have absolutely nothing to do with the actual process of delegating to someone. It could be like you were raised in a family-owned business and you're judged by how busy you are. And if your hair's not on fire all the time and your father's your boss, he's telling you you're not working hard enough. And then you take over and you're kind of like living out his vision. Well, what's your vision? So there's all these backstories that jam us up with just being able to clear our plates. And again, once we've decided that we will delegate and we've decided what we're going to delegate, you've created like these five golden rules to successfully delegate. Can you walk me through those? Yep. So this is the handoff phase. This is all about getting these things off your plate. So one of the best things you can do is to delegate the end result. So we can both get to the same point in different ways and still be done, right? So if you have an idea and you want to hand something to someone, being able to explain what success looks like. So when this is done, we will have added 13 new items to our menu. We will have pricing figured out. We will launch this on December 1st. Like just giving some success criteria around what has to be true when it's done helps get you on the same page with that person. And if you can share why it's important to you, that gives even more context because it helps us kind of feel like we understand why we're doing this project, how it fits into the overall picture. Well, I think it also gives them the opportunity to be creative. I mean, maybe our process isn't the best process. Maybe the way we've been doing things isn't the most efficient. And maybe, I mean, especially for those of us that employ a lot of millennials, maybe based on having a completely different worldview, they may be able to create a better end result by using a better process that we haven't even considered. Right. So this ties to that earlier point we were having around you being clear yourself that this is important and what success looks like before you give it to someone else. So just keep that in mind. Like this is like a dam that is there to protect everybody from a really bad delegation. (laughs) For sure. And then the second rule is all about feedback, right? Yep. So I recommend doing at least a weekly meeting and making it part of your conversation every week. What worked, what didn't work. Let's have a really healthy conversation about it. The team feels empowered to give you feedback and vice versa. Do you have tips for that? How do you solicit an honest response knowing that, I mean, especially in our industry, everybody's built to please. So nobody wants to offer critical feedback. Everybody's having the best day ever. Well, we use a tool. It's called a strategic coach experience transformer. And we just build it into the culture of our company. So the team is used to using a tool like that to get you through the feedback. But it's kind of like start with the positive. What worked? Let's get our heads in a really positive place. What didn't work? What can we do next time to make sure it's better? Like a lot of the conversations that I've been having with my team lately are around, well, what did we learn from this? Like we can't undo it. It happened. It sucked. It cost us money or whatever. (laughs) Something negative came out of it. But there's learning that we paid for in that. So creating just a healthy space of learning from our mistakes and being able to do it better next time. Well, and I think the next one is a great piece of advice, which is you start small instead of delegating all of the things right off the bat. Right. Because if we delegate all of it and we don't really follow up any kind of process, one, we're going to refill the time with more crap, right? Because we're used to having our hair on fire. We don't know what we want to do instead. 
and we're just going to shove this to someone else. But if we start small, either you can compartmentalize, like we talked about breaking something down. You can start with repeatables. You can start with really simple delegations like change my hair appointment, whatever. Personal is 100% on the table, especially in the beginning to get that trust going and just that cadence of clearing your plate methodically. And the next one's about setting expectations, right? But internally. Yeah. So we want to get comfortable with 80%. So it's not just about this was done perfectly. It's also about if someone does it 80% as well as I could, is that good enough for this particular activity? And a lot of the times I find if I have someone start something for me, like I know that my team, I delegated XYZ project to my team. I know they're working on it. It's coming back to me next week. So I want to make sure I'm just dealing with the final tweaks and the special touches of the 20% that's left. Totally makes sense. (laughs) And then the last one, what do you mean by committing to the boring stuff? Yeah. So the boring stuff is at least half of our business. So it's all the stuff that's probably, if you do that exercise, I shared all the stuff on the bottom half of your sheet, but it's important work. And like, if it doesn't get done, there could be impact to the business. And it's like back office crap that we don't want to deal with, but it still needs to get done. So just having a commitment to understanding that and respecting the work that needs to get done, even if you're not doing it anymore, just that you're committed to having the resource there to actually take that off your plate for you long term. My last question revolves around tips for success. Now, obviously, this is a whole system. It's a whole framework that you've laid out. But just talking person to person, I'm sure that there's been a ton of trial and error in sorting this out. Is there one piece of advice or word of inspiration that you would offer to the people listening to inspire them to do this and to do it well? Yes. And it's the first chapter of my book. My book is called A Culture of Delegation, and it'll be out next year. And the first chapter is called The World Needs You Elevated. And I really believe that we're all here to make an impact in a way that only we can make it and that the world needs that from us. And so the more that we can clear all that other stuff off our plate and be really clear on what we're here to do and how we're going to contribute, the more of an impact we're going to make, the more impactful our teams will be, our companies will be. So I really look at it from a very holistic, whole person perspective. That's Emily Morgan. To check out everything Emily referenced in today's show, go to delegatesolutions.com forward slash full comp. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.